Hey, Justin here with Stay at Home Dad Podcast, where I talk about a lot of guy stuff, talk about a lot of dad stuff too. I appreciate you being here, so thank you for that. All right, so I got a quick story or a thought. Let me know what you think. I went to get fuel in my wife's car the other day, being the nice gentleman that I am, you know. And I get to the station, busy station. It's kind of the last one on the way out of town on our side of town. So it's all always very busy. Tends to be quite full anyways. Well, I roll up and I think every damn pump is full. So I was like, okay, whatever. It's normal. It's busy. So I kind of just cruise through the station parking lot idling, like circling, like a shark looking for some prey, i.e. the pump, right? And I noticed something. And it really grinds my gears. There were probably at least four cars parked at pumps and there was nobody inside them. So, okay, sure. They could have gone inside, prepay for gas, and then coming back out to pump. But they were just sitting there the whole, like the whole time. I finally pulled up, found a pump, pulled up, started filling. Some people came out and drove off. There were still some cars sitting there when I left the station. Like, what is with that. They were still sitting there with no one in them. You know, you see that you're at a really busy gas station, right? So what extra does it take you to kind of quote unquote, read the room, pump your gas, get in your car and pull it up to a space in front of the gas station and get the hell out of the way and go buy your Slim Jims and your snack packs and your coffee or monsters or whatever. I don't know what that is. Are people What's the word? Just self-absorbed or dense or not aware of their surroundings or are they that selfish that they just don't care? I don't, I don't know. Anyways, just annoys me, but it also annoys me too on this subject, how people will block the only diesel pump in the gas station parking lot. I usually drive a diesel truck and I'll go there and there'll be some car blocking that pump and there's other pumps open at other stations. And they're sitting in front of the one that only has the diesel nozzle. And I'm like, "Ah, damn, what up? Anyways, this kind of got me thinking, this whole thing. Read about this theory the other day, kind of goes in line with this whole blocking of gas pumps deal. I think it's an older theory. It's not really new. It's been around. I'm a little late to the party. But that is putting your shopping cart away. At the grocery store or at Target or wherever. Or lack thereof, putting your cart away. This post goes in, talks about what you do or don't do with your shopping cart determines what type of person you are. Like if you're able to be self-governed or you're a good or bad member of society, kind of an interesting test that returning your cart is the right thing to do, right? But there's also no law or repercussion to not return your cart. It goes on to say, The shopping cart presents itself as the apex example of whether a person will do the right thing without being forced to, and that a person that cannot do this is a savage. And that type of person needs laws and rules and threats in order to make them do the right thing. Otherwise, they would not. I'll link this in the description here so you can check it out. I know a lot more goes into if you're a good or bad person than returning a shopping cart or blocking a gas pump, but it just kind of was an interesting thing, kind of intrigued me. So I kind of got to ask, do you return your cart? 
Honestly, do you return it? Now me, I return mine every time. I'll even go as far as to bring my carpet to the bin, corral thing, whatever it's, what is that called? The, the cart returner, cart return? And I'll bring it over there and it'll be a mess. It'll be just carts jammed everywhere. So I'll take 30 seconds and I will stack all the carts together so my cart actually fits in the cart corral and make it kind of a nice row. Ugh. Am I the crazy OCD guy that's doing that? Does anybody else do that? Please, I hope someone else does that. But anyways, why, I, don't, I don't know. Why do people not return them? I know I'm really getting into the weeds about a stupid cart return, but I see a lot of people do it. They just like stuff them places, put them on the curb. I'll literally watch them do this, and I just don't understand why. Is it just laziness? Is it, is there no concern? For other people's property, say your cart goes rogue and slams into some car somewhere, or do you not want to make it easy on the cart kid that collects them? Maybe something to do with power or entitlement that someone will come and do it for me. Someone will work for me. That's their job. Pick up after me. I don't know. I'm just kind of spitballing here, and I know some people can't, I guess. It's an inconvenience, say if you have kids, or a screaming baby, or kid freaking out, or you have health limitations, or maybe it's snowing cats and dogs, or it's pouring rain. There are certain situations where, you know, it's just not feasible, or if something's got to not be done, it's going to be that, right? So, I kind of understand it in that aspect. So, just so you know, I'm not just shitting on everyone, so don't send me any nasty grams, please. But anyways, is this a learned behavior? Picking up after yourself, treat others how you would be treated, that whole saying? I think it is. Kind of goes back to when we were young, when we were kids. Picking up toys, making our beds. There's no real consequence if you don't do those things. Maybe you get into a little bit of trouble, but it's not like serious, right? Like with my kids, and probably most kids, I would guess. I tell them to do something. And sometimes they do it, sometimes they don't. I usually have to show them the law, so to speak. If you don't clean your room, if you don't pick up your Legos, no cartoons, right? Threaten. Or no dessert. Or whatever. And it usually works, but there has to be force there that I stand behind. Because if I don't stand behind it, then they will learn that, hey, dad's a pushover and always folds and if I hold out long enough then dad's just gonna do it for me and their behavior will get worse I believe I don't mind I guess having to parent that way I just need to tell myself no matter how much they get upset or throw a fit that they don't want to listen I need to show them that there's repercussions to their actions and if I don't and I cave and I just pick up after them do their chores for them then what are they really learning from that that someone will always pick up after me, someone will clean for me, someone will return the cart for me. Does this kind of correlate to what I'm saying here? But now this kind of got me thinking, the whole learned behavior threatening thing. Is there a better way? How do I get them to do the things they need to do without resorting to a threat? I don't really know, to be honest. I mean, it's worked for me. Usually when one of my girls doesn't listen for the first four times, then I bust out the consequential statement, the threat. 
but I think I need to change my approach a little bit. I don't think that's really the best way. Maybe I need to talk to them, remind them that we can be better. We can stay on task and get what we need done and that no one really loves cleaning up, making beds or putting clothes away. And I think my girls aren't inherently bad. They aren't deliberately trying to not listen. I think they really get kind of sidetracked, distracted very easily. I mean, remember they're four and seven. So putting toys away and then they see something that they played with a week ago. And they're like, oh, wow. Hey, look at this. A poppet or whatever stupid thing the kids are into these days. And it sparks something in them and then they're kind of sidetracked. Kind of like a fly to a light bulb, right? And then I have to come up and remind them. And they're like, oh, yeah, I forgot. And then they get back to their duty. All right, so I just took a quick break, decided to do a little searching and reading on the Google, and I guess I'm doing it all wrong. Using threats, which is very common among parents, is the wrong way to go about getting our kids to do what we need them to do, according to Google, anyways. So anyways, I searched, found a few articles, and I found this first one, and it's on this you guys love this, right? You love it when I just talk about an article? I don't know. Anyways, I'm doing it again. Um, this first one's on keepingyourcoolparent.com, something like that. I'll link it down in the description, and it just talks about seven reasons that threats don't work and what to do instead. It starts off with a scenario. So imagine this scenario for yourself. A friend calls and says they need your help they're having a very bad day, they're crying, they're upset. What would you do? You would probably put down your coffee or put down your drink, shut your TV off, and then go drive over to your friend or find your friend and help them out. Why? Because you care. You want to make your friend feel good. You're motivated to help someone in need, right? Now flip it. Flip the scenario. Now your friend calls and, uh, you know, you got home from your long day of work and they're crying and they need you and they need your help. But instead of them asking for your help and needing someone, they say, hey, I need you to come and help me right now. And if you don't, I'm not going to be your friend anymore. Or if you don't come and help me, I'm not going to sit with you at lunch tomorrow. Or if you're not going to come and help me, I'm not going to go fishing with you, whatever putting in this in adult sense, then what would your response be to that? I can probably bet it would probably be something like hanging up the phone and then saying to yourself, F that asshole, and then you go about your day. Or maybe not, but that would be primarily mine if someone said that to me. So the author's idea is that that's why threats don't work with kids, because we wouldn't like to be treated that way or we wouldn't want this ultimatum like that, so why would we do that to our kids? So here's a few that this author wrote about, and I'll just go ahead and read through them. Uh, first one is they erode relationships. It says we all do things for others because it makes us feel good, and we inherently want to please, and so do our kids. But using threats to control behavior stifles our kids' desire to actually please us. That kind of makes sense. Next one is... Threats make our kids resent us. They may be a short-term solution, but they do nothing in the way of actually motivating our children to listen to us. Maybe for that short term, right? But not 
every day. You're going to be doing this threat every single day. That we tend to dislike people who constantly push us. So that's what we are potentially doing to our kids. And kind of, in a way, to, for me to understand that, think about that one boss you had or that one supervisor you're ha you've had, that, that asshole boss that you've had. And he would threaten you. I need you to get this project done. This needs to be done by here or, you know, whatever. Like, threats there, right? Did they really work for you? Maybe, but deep down, you thought he was a dick, right? And you resented your boss. It's, I think that could be the potential for our kids to resent us. So that does make a lot of sense to me. Another one is threats teach our kids to think what's in it for me. Is a threat worth it for me to do what I'm being told to do? The preferable would be how does my behavior affect others? And I've had this blow up in my face before that with my daughters, especially with my youngest Kennedy, she will call me on my threat sometimes and then I'm just like, oh crap, like what do I do? That was my go-to. Finish your veggies or you don't get dessert. And then she'll be like, meh, I don't really want dessert or I'm okay with no dessert. And then it just blows up in my face and I'm like, so yeah, what's, what's in it for the kid? They're gonna, you know, hey, do this and you get a piece of chocolate. When they'll pre they're gonna get old enough and they're gonna look at that situation and be like, eh, I really don't care about chocolate tonight or I really don't care about watching The Little Mermaid and they they just won't listen. So that's a, that's a real thing that happens, it's happened to me. All right, here's the last one. Threats kill empathy. Children feel misunderstood and frustrated when we go straight to a threat. That does not teach empathy, and this author says empathy is a learned skill. We want to show our kids that we do understand them, and we will continue to better do so. We want our kids to think of us and others. We must teach them what empathy looks like and feels like. Acknowledging their wants and their needs is not the same as just agreeing with them. So, I don't know, some interesting points here. Um, I'm not saying that I totally agree with all these. There's other ones I did not read, of course. But I get it. I kind of understand. So it's a little uh, food for thought. Now, this article didn't really have much as an alternative to use instead of threats. I mean, mainly it was be quiet, take a breath, put yourself in your child's shoes, begin with empathy and sit back and relax. Yes, none of those help me at all. OK, maybe take a breath so I don't pop off and freak out when my kids aren't listening. Right. So not really that helpful. But threats are easy. And like I said, I've used them sparingly here and there, but not wanting to brush teeth, not wanting to go to bed, um, threatening with a bed, no bedtime story. Um, if you don't stop fighting, you'll be separated in your own rooms. And there are days when I blow up, threaten, and then I feel, like I said, I feel bad. And I've gone up to my girls afterwards and apologized. I've actually apologized to them. I said, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm really sorry how I acted. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. I tell them kind of in a way, I say, you know what, this is my first time being a parent. And that sometimes I make mistakes and sometimes I get angry and I don't mean to, but I'm kind of new at this. I've only been doing it for seven years and, and they kind of, they kind of relax and that, and that kind of helps. And I ask them how I'm doing. And I kind of try to keep that open like, Hey, how am I doing as a parent? Am I, am I doing a good job? And I ask them that kind of regularly, and I, I feel like a little bit of that communication really helps all of us. So anyways, after that article didn't have much for alternatives, I went ahead and found another one 
that just gives a few tips on not using threats. So I'll just go through these. It's off of happilyfamily.com. And just so you know, I have no idea where these websites come from. I literally just do a little Google search and kind of see something that I like, and then I just pull it and talk about it. So I don't have any affiliation with any of these, but I'll just go ahead and link them all in the description so you can find them and read them if you would like to. So Cecilia, who wrote this article, says, it's not hard motivating kids to do stuff that they actually love. Her example was horses. Her, her child loves them. Or for my kids, it's, you know, painting and art and going outside. But how do we get them to do stuff that they maybe don't like doing? Homework, cleaning up, um, along those lines. Well, she says to relate it to something that the kid already cares about. So Cecilia's kid in this article doesn't like doing math, but she loves dealing with horses. So she says to kind of relate the two. You need to know math to know how much to feed a horse or know how much wood you need to fix a fence for your horses. So kind of relate it like that and it gives the kid incentive to do the math instead of threatening if you don't do your math you're not going to ride a horse. Well that's, I mean yes, I really think that would work but I think we can do better. Alright, strategy two is talk about values and the value of doing things. Self-care, cleaning your room, having a nice place to, to, to live and sleep and, and not to live in in a, in a hellhole, essentially. I've talked to my kids, you know, we may not have fun brushing our teeth and our hair, but this is caring for ourselves. And I usually ask my kids if they don't like to brush their teeth, they will have smelly breath. Their teeth may get rotten. Their teeth may fall out. Is that a threat? Probably more of a consequence and it's something that I'm not enforcing, I'm just telling you how it is. I mean, I'm not going to make your breath smelly. That's a choice my child made. I'm not gonna make your teeth fall out. And I've used this method and conversation with my kids and it actually seems to work pretty well. All right, her third strategy is, what if kids don't see the value in the task? And then she says, talk about options and choices. So I guess my last example, well, the option of not brushing your teeth is your teeth falling out, right? So Cecilia continues on with dinner time and dishes and clean up. Her daughter maybe doesn't want to do dishes. Maybe give her the option to sweep the floor. I've used this method as well, giving choices, kind of a good way to give some power to your child, lets them feel like they have these options and they have some, some power, some um, freedom to make a choice. Usually if I involve my kids in something that I'm doing, they are more than happy to help, you know, or assist me setting the table for dinner, putting the condiments out. You know, if I bring it up, I ask them if they would like to help and they usually are more than willing to. Carrying some food out to the table. They love that stuff and they're usually really eager to do it. And then when we're done though, sometimes Olivia will just get up and leave her plate at the table and start to walk away and I'm like, eh, 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 hold on, let's pick our plate up kind of remind her to bring her plate. We don't leave a mess behind. We don't just live like that. We, we want to have nice clean places. And then once she brings her plate to me, then she will usually on her own, sometimes I'll ask her, she'll start clearing the table. Oh, can I bring this up? Can I bring that up? And it's kind of gets a, a little bit fun that she wants to, to help in that aspect. Or back to one of my original ideas of, of cleaning her room or making her bed. She will sometimes ask me 
why do we have to do these things? Why do I have to make my bed? And I try to kind of tell her, does she like it when her room is picked up and your bed is made? And she'll usually nods, yeah. And then I say, well, what if you had a friend come over and they saw your room and they saw your bed all messy. They saw your floor all messy. And of course, she wouldn't like that. So I've been and I will continue to try to use those tactics rather than head straight to that threat, I guess. All right, so anyways, to uh, wrap this up, please, for the love of everything, start putting your shopping cart away. It's not that hard. There is little, very impressionable people watching you. This learned exercise. Show them the right way to do that. Show them that little piece of self-care. My kids love to emulate my wife and I, what we say, what we do. So just kind of keep that in mind. They're, they're watching you. Also, let's try to curb the threat style parenting. I know it's not going to go away. Sometimes we've got to get to that point, but I think we can, you know, really do better. There's a lot of other options. So let's just try that. Oh, and when you're done getting gas, please fill your car and drive on and park and go inside. I'll really appreciate that. All right, so sorry for the rabbit hole that this episode was today. I hope you enjoyed it. Anyways, uh, please share it, subscribe this podcast, review all that stuff. Contact me at Vegas Raymer on Instagram or through Podbean. Download this podcast through podbean.com, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, and I will see you next week.